The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture reading is from John 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To keep to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, and they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out <clears throat> and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up, the charge I have received from my father. There was again a division amongst the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Appreciate it, Oliver. Good morning again, downtown church. I'm glad y'all are with us, especially our little ones. But I hope uh, that you guys came this morning uh, ready to hear from the Lord, not just to hear from man. I hope that you came ready to engage in worship, not to sit back and just be entertained. But I hope that we all have, have come this morning to be fed by God, by his living word. So with that in mind, let us go to the Lord the one who feeds our souls in prayer. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you that you are the living God and that you want us to know you. And so you reveal yourself to us by your word. And I pray that we won't take that lightly this morning, that we would have humble hearts, teachable hearts, to be, tr to be ready to be transformed by your spirit. And so, God, break us where we need to be broken. God, I pray that you would do a work on our hearts and our lives and our minds that only you can do because of your goodness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. I would say that uh, every school, every institution, um, every uh, group, every corporation, 
every sports team, at some shape or form, have experienced toxic leadership. And I came across a, a leadership blog, and they described toxic leadership like this. It's a type of leadership that is destructive to the members of a team in an overall workplace. It's a selfish abuse of power on the part of the leader. And under toxic leadership, it's difficult for you and your peers to thrive. A toxic leader will usually have their own self-interest at heart. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure in a room this size, a lot of us have experienced toxic leadership in some shape or form. Many of us probably experienced it in the church. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But you're probably cringing right now when you think about your experience with toxic leadership. Maybe it was a coach that you had, and that person led with all aggression and lacked love. Maybe that toxic leadership came in a way of an employer who belittles you because the profit is way more important than your self-worth. Or maybe that toxic leadership came in the form of a spiritual leader in a church or pastor. And that left you with emotional and mental wounds. And I just want to say right now, just as a brother in Christ and as a pastor, I apologize uh, for that. And I grieve with you. I, I heard the stories of many of you from past church hurt because someone that you trusted to lead you, to protect you, and to, to pray for you and care for you, they abused your trust. But this idea of toxic leadership, it, it's not just unique to us in our present time. In fact, this, this always been an issue. We look in the beginning of the Bible. We have Adam and Eve. Adam was the head, and he was supposed to be the leader and protect Eve. Well, because of his failed leadership, Eve was vulnerable. She gave it to temptation, and Adam likewise and the whole mankind was cursed because of them. I mean, we think about, there's a whole book in the Bible called Judges. And the theme of this book is that everyone, everyone who judged did what was right in their own eyes, which led to destruction of the people. Even in Ezekiel chapter 34, God is pronouncing these, these judgments on these shepherds that failed at their job and what they were supposed to do to feed the people of God, to protect, to nurture, as a good shepherd would do. And let me remind us that God doesn't take this lightly. And as I said in Ezekiel 34, he instructs harsh judgments on shepherds who fail to care for his people. And as a pastor, <laughs> I take that with a sobering mentality because God will hold me accountable the way I pastor and shepherd his sheep. But let me remind us, as Hillary hinted towards, in chapter 9, we, we see this, 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 this situation by which God, Jesus, heals this blind man. And it's this miraculous uh, event you would think people would have been grateful to see that this man who was born blind was healed by Jesus. Now he can see. We also know that Jesus' healings are not just merely physical, but he was healed inwardly. 
he came to know Jesus in a personal relationship. But then you see the Pharisees, the religious teachers, the supposed to be uh, spiritual leaders, they excommunicated this guy. They was cross-examining him. They, they really didn't believe his testimony that this Jesus would, would heal this man. You see, these leaders failed at their job. And it's in this context we find ourselves in John chapter 10, where Jesus is looking back, in a sense, to this situation where these leaders, these false shepherds failed to do their job. And he, he claims, he makes this declaration that I'm the good shepherd. And not just a good shepherd who's, who's pretty good at what he does, but he's the best shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Or other translations say he's, he's the beautiful shepherd. And he's unlike these bad shepherds. He's the only true and good shepherd. And with that in mind, I want us to, to consider this main idea for our text this morning, which is Jesus is the only worthy shepherd of our souls whom we can trust and follow. Jesus is the only worthy shepherd of our souls whom we can trust and follow. And as we make our way through our text, I, I want us to see three reasons why Jesus is the worthy shepherd. The first reason we can learn from our text that Jesus is the worthy shepherd is because he's a life-giving shepherd life-giving shepherd. We see this in verse 9 through 10. He says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, first, this life-giving shepherd, he offers protection now, Jesus is speaking to a first century Palestinian uh, audience. So, in other words, when I say shepherd and sheep to us in Memphis, that probably don't mean nothing to y'all because we don't really see sheep just roaming about. And a lot of us in here, uh, our vocation are not shepherds. And if you are, I want to talk to you after this because I should have talked to you before this to get some information. But Jesus is speaking their language. He's speaking it to their world. They knew that any decent shepherd would be concerned for the well-being of their sheep. After all, it was wolves, it was hyenas and coyotes and bears that wanted to destroy the sheep. The sheep were vulnerable without a committed shepherd. They were vulnerable without that protective watch and that protective care. So Jesus is saying, anyone who comes to me who enters by me will be saved. They will be saved by these predators. They will be saved by the thieves who come only to kill, steal, and destroy. So what, what are thieves? How, how is Jesus using this word thieves in this context? And a lot of people would debate, would say that the thief is actually Satan himself. We can unpack that. But I would like us to see that Jesus is referencing selfish spiritual leaders who come into the sheepfold unauthorized. In other words, they don't come through the door who is Jesus himself, but they hop the, they hop the gate. I'm sorry, they hop the wall. And they kind of sneaky 
in this uh, deceitful way, trying to steal the sheep from Jesus. These spiritual leaders, they are all law and no grace. We see this countless accounts with the Pharisees. They care only about themselves and not the spiritual well-being of the flock. They use their authority for selfish gain, but not to serve others. These are the thieves. But Jesus is, is contrasting himself with these life suckers. But he's, he, he, he is describing himself as a life giver. And not just life, but life abundantly. An abundant life, I remember when I was first uh, studying this uh, years ago, as a, a young believer, I'm like, abundant life, that sounds good, because where I'm coming from, <laughs> uh, I can use a few dollars in my pocket. And I thought he was referencing, like, okay, you follow Jesus long enough, you, you pray enough prayers, you, you know what I'm saying, you faithful, then he's going to provide uh, a lot of money for you. Um, he's going to protect you health-wise. And so this was my mind when I first read this particular passage. But as I live life a little bit, <laughs> And I study more of just his passage in the whole entire Bible. Abundant life is not talking about just money. It's not just talking about health and wealth and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure that there are other people who are selling that to a lot of people, but Jesus isn't focusing on the mere external, but he's talking about the internal and the eternal. Abundant life is the, the inward satisfaction of our souls from trusting and following Jesus' way of life, not what the world is selling, not what our friends necessarily trying to persuade us to do, is following Jesus' way of life. He gives us real purpose. He, he gives us a real identity that is not found in exhausting ourselves for people's approval. It's not found in exhausting ourselves trying to be the perfect entrepreneur, trying to be the perfect girlfriend or wife, even a perfect pastor. But he gives us identity. The abundant life can be seen as your why. The motivation to life itself, which it's a response to God's ever-flowing love that he has for you and our Lord Jesus Christ. The abundant life is not contingent on your relationship status. I know a lot of times I hear from our singles, man, if I just got married, then my life would be complete. Because you could be married and be the most discontent person in the world and not experiencing this abundant life. It's not contingent on your marital status. An abundant life, it doesn't promise a life without suffering. I ain't get too many amens on that, understandably. I remember when I first became a Christian in 2018, my freshman year of college, I was excited. Um, I was very naive. I was trying to figure out this new life, trying to be faithful, trying to be obedient, but yet still stumbling. A couple years into my walk, I remember I was on an opportunity down in Orlando, and I had the chance to help a couple other guys grow in their faith as well. And out of this 10-week program, it was the third week 
I just laid my head down to go to sleep after a long conversation about who knows what. And something woke me up. I think it was the vibration of my phone. And I remember it was about 3.33 in the morning. And I had five missed calls from my mama back in St. Louis. And so I called her back because somebody called you middle of the night that many times is either super good that it can't wait till the next morning or it's super bad. So I went into the bathroom because I didn't want to disrupt my roommates. And I, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, what's going on? She said, Keisha is gone. That was my older sister. She was 21 at the time. She was eight months pregnant. Just like that, her life was gone. She had some complications with her asthma and her lungs collapsed. Here I am, this young Christian, at this opportunity, this, this environment where I'm trying to be faithful to God, and my sister is gone. I mean, the rest of that night, I didn't even say a word. I had a good friend of mine. He was just by my side praying over me, and for hours, I was just weeping. For hours, I was numb. I had sores underneath my eyelids because I was rubbing my eyes so much because it is devastating news. My sister was my best friend. My sister never met my wife. She never met my, my kids. And I asked God, why? Like, this is what the Christian life is about? But I was grateful. I wasn't grateful at that moment, but over time, I was grateful that he continued to put people in my life that, that cared for me. They didn't tell me, or Ted, just get over it. I'm grateful that I had his, his word, that it's a whole book of psalms of, of people crying out to God, lamenting and grieving and questioning why. But I'm also grateful as I learn that God is a good shepherd who walks with me even in the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff, they come for me. Now, I know I'm not the only person that experienced that kind of loss in my life. I'm sure many of you have experienced loss. But it's one thing to experience loss by yourself, but it's a whole other experience to, to experience loss where you're trusting and you're looking to a life-giving shepherd. Brothers and sisters, this is abundant life. It's, it's, it comes with rich blessings. But as we on this side of heaven, it doesn't excuse us from suffering. But in our suffering, there is this comfort, there is this peace, this joy, and also this assurance that the good shepherd is grieving with us as well. It's one reason that we can trust this worthy shepherd. But the second reason we can trust this worthy shepherd is because he's a compassionate shepherd. Jesus cares for those who trust him. And we can even say that we, we grow in our trust or, uh, yeah, I trust for someone else by the way we see them, how much they sacrifice for us, right? I think that's a natural thing that, that our trust deepens. It, it strengthens when we see somebody else be a friend, a family member, a spouse, a mentor. When we see their sacrifice for us. But Jesus tells us five different times the level of his sacrifice, the, the level of his love as a good shepherd. He tells us five different times in John chapter 10. First, he tells us in John chapter 11, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for his sheep. He tells us in verse 15 of John chapter 10, just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 17, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He said, if you didn't catch it there, let me tell you again, verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. So one thing I, I, I was thinking, and maybe you're thinking the same thing, what would compel a perfect guide to, to take on a form of, of human flesh to humiliate himself by being born of a man or a child who will eventually grow up as a man. He will live amongst a people who, who mocked him, who didn't always trust him, who, who betrayed him. But what will compel this Savior to lay down his life for ungrateful sheep at times, for sheep who, who likes to go their own way and wander away from the shepherd? What will compel him? He tells us in Matthew chapter 9, we get a glimpse inside of this shepherd's heart. Matthew chapter 9, we got that on a... Matthew chapter 9, in the context, Jesus is doing ministry. He's healing diseases. He's casting out demons. And it's almost as if he, he stepped at this hillside and he looked at the people. And this is what Matthew gospel reads. It says, when he saw the crowd... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees the crowd for who they are with those divine eyes. He sees right through them. He sees our insecurities. He sees our fears. He sees our doubts. He sees our wounds. He sees our sin. And he looks at the crowd. He said they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion. And this compassion is not like how we use compassion. I, I think sometimes when we hear stories about a, a friend or a stranger or something like that, we say, oh, man, that's messed up. It's kind of like this kind of surface-level compassion, or we'll use one of them, them, you know, the go-tos. Hey, I pray for you, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry to hear that, brother, but I, I pray for you. Jesus' word, Jesus' compassion just didn't stop at his words, but he was moved with action. And this compassion, in the original language, it, it describes this intense feeling in his gut, in the bowels. You ever had that that gut-wrenching moment when you saw something or something happened to you and you just feel it in your bowels. This is Jesus. He sees us and he feels this pity, this, this compassion in his bowels. And it leads him to act. He saw that we were almost like sheep. Sheep turned over on their back. When sheep get uh, turned over on their backs, they can't move. They, they need the shepherd to come and to, to lift them up and put them back on their feet. But it was just worse for us being on our back. We were, we were dying in our sin. We were subjects of God's wrath. 
We were empty, looking for things to, to fill us up in this world that can never fill us up the way God can fill us up. We had a sin debt that was so great that it was nothing that you could ever do to knock off just a hint of that debt. It was too great. So Jesus, with compassion, with love, he set his face to the cross because there was no other way. There was no other person, blood that was spotless like his. He laid down his life for us so that we could have a relationship with him. He drank God's cup of wrath fully so there could be no condemnation for those who find their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be feeling condemnation right now. You may be feeling like God is, is punishing me right now because something I did. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, there isn't any punishment. Now, there's discipline. There's a difference between being disciplined and being punished. Christ took all of our punishments freely so that we can have life. This is the compassionate Savior. This is the compassionate shepherd that we ought to want to trust our lives to. The one who looks at us not with disgust, who, who looks at us and say, oh, man, here you go again. But he looks at us and say, how can I make myself low to meet you in your situation? I want to grieve with you. I want to grieve for you. I'm the, the great high priest who sympathized because I was tempted in every way, shape, or form. But this great high priest was without sin, but he knows your situation. This is another reason that we can trust this worthy shepherd because he's a compassionate shepherd. But lastly, I want us to see in our text, which teaches us that we can trust his worthy shepherd because he's a familiar shepherd. Look with me in verses 14 through 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. God is very familiar with all of us. No matter if this is your faith or not, he's very familiar with all of us. And if you don't believe me, go and read Psalms 139, and you will see the depths of his knowledge of us. God says that he, he knitted us together in our mother's wounds, that no matter who you are, as God's image bearers, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of the universe. Now, that's a big deal. But God is particularly familiar with those who trust him. And I think when it comes to us and our relationship with this shepherd, it can be very easy to, to have his voice drawn out because the world could be very noisy. There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of different voices that's, that's calling out for your attention. There's other leaders saying, hey, come follow me. I'll show you the life. But how are we to, to cultivate that familiarity? Yes, when God calls you and he saves you, there is a sense that you hear his voice and you respond. But even after he saved you, there's a lifestyle of us listening to his voice. I think about even me as a dad, and 
whenever I used to go, well, I still do, but when my kids were younger, I used to pick them up from their, their, their daycare. And I remember walking down the hall, and there were other parents and uh, guardians, grandmas, uncles, and aunties uh, who were going to go pick up their child as well. And there was small talk going on with the parents. There was small talk with the teachers. And you hear crying babies all over the place. But the teachers always tell me, they say, they say, Daddy, when they heard your voice around the corner, they came running to the door because they was waiting. And whenever I walk my way towards the door, I see my child running up, and they just excited just to see Daddy, arms raised. And I think about that. I think about that that illustration, because that just didn't happen by coincidence. Like, my, my child, we spent some time together. There, there was a growing sense of familiarity. They know my voice. They, they know me in different situations. When they're afraid, they come to daddy. When they hurt themselves, they come to daddy. When they're hungry, they want the six, seven snack of the day, they come to daddy. But they have developed this, this familiarity which I'm grateful for because I want them to trust me. I want them to obey me because especially when their life is in danger and they hear daddy's voice, they can stop and respond and obey. Now, they don't do that perfectly, but progressively. So what about us? If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and he is your good shepherd, have you been hearing his voice lately? Or has his voice have been drowned out by the noise from within sometimes, within our own heads and the, the noise from without? Let me just give us a few things, just remind us of a, a few ways that we can continue to cultivate that familiarity with our good shepherd, the Lord himself. The first is the Bible. God is, has spoken. God is speaking through his word. And you want to know God's purpose and his will for your life, you can find it in here. Now, you ain't going to get a lot of specifics. <laughs> you can get some specifics. But for the most part, God has given us what we need to know about him, what we need to know about ourselves, what we need to know about the world. God is speaking. Are you listening? Another way we can cultivate this familiarity of the shepherd's voice is when we come to church, and this ain't no shame. I know people, you know, been traveling around the summer times. I, I get all that. But whether you come to downtown church or you go to another church, this is one of the ways, one of the means God has given us to remind us of his goodness, to remind us that our hope, it doesn't stop in this world with everything going on. I mean, look at your Facebook or your, your Twitter timeline. Look at the, the local news the brokenness. We need to come to this place and to be reminded, this ain't our home. We need to come to this place and be reminded that confession is good for the soul, that the Father is speaking his love, but sometimes our guilt and our shame, it, it almost kind of blocks out what he's whispering and singing over our lives. When we come to church, we can confess with the saints. Another way that we need to cultivate ourselves with God's word and his familiarity is when we partake in the Lord's Supper. God is declaring 
Every single time we partake in the Lord's Supper, that my body was broken for you, my blood was shed for you, because I'm the good shepherd that laid down my life for you. So that you can experience abundant life, not just life eternally abundant, but the abundant life right now. It's not just when I get to heaven, that's when the abundant life kicks in. Abundant life starts right now. He reminds us that this is the cost that it came, that he laid his life down for us. And all you have to do is just say, yes, God. Say yes. But let me remind you again, when you say yes, that doesn't mean no to your problems. That doesn't mean that your health may not fail you. That doesn't mean that you may not lose friendships or you may not get that promotion that you want or that college that you want to get accepted to. But also know that you have a good shepherd who's holding your hand, who's walking with you, even through the valleys and the mountaintops. You got a faithful, you got a compassionate, you got a life-giving, and you got a familiar shepherd who is with you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a shepherd, just not about words, but about actions. And God, we need to be pastored by you. God, we also need to be pastored by trusted individuals, trusted leaders in the church who can remind us of that good news. And so, God, we ask that you would feed us, God. But, God, we ask that you would humble us and show us those blind spots in our lives. Show us what noise to eliminate so that we can hear your voice a little bit more clear. And I pray that we say yes to you every single time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
some space to reflect on the goodness of God, reflect on how deep the Father's love for us, how ought we should respond, what, how should we reorient our lives in light of that truth. ask you to stand as we depart with the Lord's benediction. Extend your hands as you receive this benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>